You know, I just had a, a really quick revelation there at the end of prayer. Uh, Dawn has a machine, red light therapy, and they're using light to go into the unseen. In fact, the light goes into the cells, goes past the outer walls, right, and goes internal into the cell and can bring healing. Isn't it amazing? I love it. You guys know that I love science. Not a, I'm not a scientific guy. I'm not, I didn't do well in the academic side, but I love, uh, in my simplicity, I love hearing uh, scientific things that prove God. And it's amazing that God is uh, saying things to us in the Bible years and years ago, and science is still catching up with God. The Bible says that the darkness, right, it could not withstand it, could not stand against it. It's amazing. We're actually seeing that light is not just what you can see, but it goes into darkness where you can't even see it. It's actually doing something in the unseen. Isn't that amazing? You guys can watch, do your own research on red light therapy, but the idea is that it's going into that unseen place and doing something beyond what you are aware of. So the Lord is working in your lives. The Lord is working in you in a greater place. When we accept Christ into our situation, into our lives, he is going into a deeper place than the scene. Amen. Let's get right into his word uh, so that we don't carry on too long. But that was amazing. The Lord just dropped that there at the end of prayer. Uh, we're going to pick right up where we've been preaching this is going to be part three, and I just want to bring some beginning verses to get us uh, to uh, on the same page again, and it's, we'll start with Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It's saying that Jesus Christ, he's the ruler, he's the king, and verse 6, Revelation chapter 1 says that Christ, that's the he we're talking about, who? Jesus Christ, who's the king, he's king. And he has welcomed us in. He is the king and he is the high priest. He has welcomed us in to be a kingdom that is kings alongside of him, him being the king, us kings serving him, and priest, him being the high priest, us being priests. Amen. And it says in uh, Exodus chapter 19 that God, when he brought them out of Egypt, he brings Moses up to the mountain and he says, Moses, this is why I brought you out here. He says in Exodus chapter 19, he says, if you obey me, verse 5, and you keep my covenant, he says, verse 6, you will be my kingdom of priests. Everybody, let's say that out loud, kingdom of priests. So the Lord's purpose in freeing the people from bondage in Egypt was to be a kingdom of priests. And we know, I've talked taught many times before, you are well aware, that Egypt represents the world. Everybody say, Egypt is the world. And so we can, New Testament, we can look through Christ, we can look into 2023, and we can see what he was saying to Moses to us, which is that the Lord says, I brought you out of the world. Everybody say, he brought us out of the world for a purpose, right? They were wandering. They were purposeless without his purpose. And sometimes 
we come out of the world, we come into Christ, and we don't know what to do. We don't like, what's next? What do I do? How do I do this thing? And the Lord is calling us into a very purpose-filled place in Him, which is to be a kingdom of priests. And finally, the last verse to spring off of is in 1 Peter chapter 2, a fulfillment, a New Testament fulfillment of what was prophesied there in Exodus, what's talked about here in Revelation. It's also here in 1 Peter. He says, verse uh, 4 of chapter 2, that we are uh, building, uh, we are part of God's temple, right? We are, it says in verse 5, we are the living stones of his spiritual temple, right? So we are the temple of the Lord, and we are his priests. So let's just say that out loud again. We are his temple, and we are his priests. And so the Bible says, and through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer sacrifices to please God. So he has turned us, and that is us corporately and us individually. That means when I'm in my car, I can talk to God. You couldn't do this before. I mean, you could pray, but there wasn't a conversation before, was there? Because God was locked away in a very secret, the secret place. We see Psalm 91, the holy of holies. And it wasn't that God didn't want to be near you. It was that your flesh was a barrier, right? Who knows that our flesh is a barrier? Sin is a barrier to God. The only reason we can have a conversation with God in the car and in the building we call the church is because of the mediation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and tore the veil to the secret place, right? Amen. He tore the veil to the Holy of Holies and welcomed us in to a relationship with him. And what he did is he took the building and he took all of its parts and he put it inside you. Say, he put it inside my heart. And he made you a priest to yourself. We are priests to, we say, to the temple, to the church. That means the secondary part is we are priests to one another, right? We serve one another, prefer one another. We all have gifts and callings and purposes that help one another. But firstly, you are a priest to yourself. Now, that is not for selfish gain, but it is that the Lord gives you direct uh revelation through Christ into your heart, and he says, here's some things I want to change, here's some things I want out of your life, and here's some things I want in your life. Amen. That's the relationship we walk in. We don't live by rules and regulations. We live by the revelation. Everybody say, it's not rules and regulations. It's revelation. And that is what makes us so special is this personal place that we have in him. And then we can come corporately and be priest in this place called the church. But we are firstly his temple and his priest. And that is that we are called to worship him. We are separated. Verse 9 says we are a chosen people. We are royal priests. We are a holy nation. We are God's very own possession. And I want to say this again is that we are not our own. My Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is not my opinion. The Bible says, I'm not my own, God owns me. Do you know that a husband and wife are not their own? 
right? The Bible says you give yourself to one another, and the other one owns you. No one wants to hear that. But the other person owns you. You don't own yourself anymore. They own you. And it's mutual. That's what makes it beautiful. And the Bible says it's a mystery what's happening between Christ and us, but it's the same as a man and woman in marriage, that it is a giving of Christ. He has given himself to us, and we give ourselves to him. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing what he has done for us and in us. And it says here that he has called us out. And there's that calling out. Called us out. Here's 1 Peter chapter 2. It says we are a kingdom of priests, right? We are royal priests, a holy nation. This is a fulfillment of that prophecy. And here's the calling out again. He has called us out of Egypt called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, and then goes on to say, you didn't have an identity, verse 10. He gave us identity, right? Everybody's searching for identity. Isn't it ironic that the world is still, and maybe more than ever in history, is searching for an identity? I think it's possible that, that more now than ever in history, people are trying to figure out who they are, right? Who am I? What am I? Am I even a man or a woman? I'm not sure. Like, we're this searching for identity in this time today more than ever. And the Bible says, this is 4,000 years old. You didn't have an identity in the world. You were confused in your identity. You didn't understand it because you were in the world. But I've given you an identity. Amen. That's our identity. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. You know, the world wants to ask, well, who are you? What are you? I'm in Christ. I'm Christ. You want to know who I am? I'm Christ. Are you a male or female? I'm Christ. You want to give an answer that doesn't offend anybody? I'm Christ. Well, that'll offend some people too, won't it? And he says, I want to warn you, verse 11, as temporary residents and foreigners. Everybody say, I'm a foreigner in the earth. And so what is the point of all these sermons? Why have I been preaching on this verse being a kingdom of priests. Why is this so important, and why am I now in week three? Um, I wrote down some thoughts. I think I'm just going to read them so I get them right, because I feel like I wrote them in the way I wanted to say them, so just bear with me. Um, But basically, I want us to see the seriousness of coming to Christ. That is a very serious thing, that we came to Christ. I want to stress this first, and I believe everybody in this room knows this, and maybe it's someone listening in the podcast, but I want to say these things first, which is Jesus loves us so very much, doesn't he? He shed his own blood, and he suffered on the cross for us. The Bible says that God has held back nothing. It literally says that God held back nothing. Nothing from us. He did not spare even his only son. And I love this, that we can come to God. And I wrote this. I'm going to say it how I wrote it because I believe it's from the Lord. You can come to God dirty as hell itself. You can come to him broken. You can come to him hurting. You can come to him in need of the only one who can help. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to get cleaned up first. 
and you can't do anything to earn salvation or his love. You can run, run, run away from God, and he'll still love you. I needed to stress that first. I know we know these things, but before I'm about to say what I'm about to say, everybody wants to argue about what it means to be a real Christian and God's love, right? They think that, you know, we're trying to earn his love, trying to be good to, to get his love to be greater or something. And the thing is that his love is unconditional. Amen. What I'm teaching in these sermons is that while everything I've just stated will never change, we must be aware that Jesus paid an immense price for us. Okay, so I want to say it again. His love is unconditional. He loves you so much. But I also want us to stop and think it's just good to do as believers often. We should come back. This is what communion really is. Like We could have had communion today, but let's just have it in our hearts right now. It is coming back and remembering the weight and seriousness of what it is that Christ has done for us. We are hurting and broken, so we take it, and, it, and it's a, it almost can be a selfish thing, but God allows it because he knows where you're at in the moment. But we should then, when he cleans us up and figures, and he's doing all the work, we should stop and remember. We just talked about this this last week. God heals. Jesus comes and heals 10 lepers. One comes back and says, thank you. One does that mean that their miracle disappeared? No, doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. Does it mean that Jesus didn't love the other nine? No. But Jesus says, where are the others? So it is something that God notices, that when he does something in our lives, God takes notice of us, of our response. Amen. We get that. Does that change his love? Is anybody confused? Anybody think he doesn't love you when you're wandering? No, of course he loves us. Look at the prodigal son. We can't pay him back. He will clean us up. He will make us pure and holy. He will give us strength. He gives us purpose. There is a dark world that parallels the kingdom of light. We must be aware of this. The enemy and his fallen kingdom wishes that you would stay broken. He wishes that you would stay dirty. He wants you to stay hurt, and he wants you to stay focused on you. That's what the enemy wants. A true Christian is, come as you are, who's heard, come as you are, but go changed, right? Come as you are, but leave changed. I don't like the word leave, so I said go changed, right? Go changed, right? Because we're not leaving him, we're going. Um, I believe this is actually a constant process. We're constantly coming to him, just like we did the first time, and we're constantly leaving changed. We should come into Sunday mornings and leave changed. But we should also go into our prayer times and leave changed. We should go into our meditating times in his word and leave changed. Amen. We don't have to get cleaned up to come to him. You can come as broken and as hurt. You can unload all your junk on him and he's not offended. But God wants you to get, truly give it to him so that he can give you life. Right? We can't give him our junk and then take our junk back. Right? We can't say, Lord, forgive me, and then speak the same way we just spoke when we asked him to forgive us. Amen. Because then you didn't really give him what you said you were giving him. 
Now, is he condemning you or not loving you? When you mess up again, what do you do? What's, come on, this is easy. This is children's church. What do we do? We run right back into his presence and say, Lord, forgive me. I said you could have these words that I shouldn't be saying, whether they're negativity or cursing. I said you could have them, and now I'm using them again. Lord, take it again. And we can constantly come back into his presence and constantly be changed. And, being, and, and the Bible says, and more and more and more into the image of Christ. Isn't this incredible? Many stress the come-as-you-are model, but a person who's truly surrendered to Christ is changed. There were many spectators in the Bible. There were many. If you read through the Gospels, you will see that many watched the miracles. Many enjoyed the free meals. Many saw Jesus walk down their streets, and even many listened to his sermons. But only some turned their lives over. Some surrendered to Christ's offer. We can't earn his love and we can't ever pay him back, but we must realize that accepting his salvation means to enter into his kingdom. I thought it would be I thought it was important to note this as well. I love the story of Jesus on the cross with the two criminals. Who loves that story? Who loves that moment? We don't want to see Christ suffer, but there's something special happening up there on the cross, isn't there? Isn't it funny? Jesus is on a cross and we've still got miracles happening that the world is missing, right? We really have the picture of true salvation right there on the cross. It truly is a without works. Isn't it amazing? That was salvation. The Bible says that one man is on, his one, is on, on the side of him and says, you're so powerful, save yourself. If you're really Jesus, then just get off the cross. He has no repentance of sin. He has no uh, uh, fear of God, right? All he is is still the same mocking sinner that he always was. And now we have this other guy on the same cross as, the, as these, the, the accused criminal Christ, who's not a criminal, and the real criminal. Here's another criminal, amen, who says, don't you, e- don't you even fear God? Don't you fear God? He says, I'm a sinner, and he's not. It was that simple. He recognized his own depravity, his own darkness, and recognized Christ's deity. Salvation is that simple. And he had, there was no him proving himself. There was no him working out his salvation. Amen, right? Salvation was done and finished right then and there. We know that because Jesus said, he says, remember me. And he says, today we will be in paradise together. So I wanted to note as I go into the next minutes of this sermon, some things we already know, but just to remind us of, that his love is unconditional and salvation is without works. Okay, we got that. His love is unconditional, salvation is without works. What happens is, and I know we don't in this church, but what many do is they take concepts, they take doctrines, they take these ideas, And they insert those doctrines into 
the rest of the scriptures. They'll now read what I'm about to read through a lens of a preconceived idea. Instead of reading the scripture and letting it tell me its ideas. Amen. Who gets this? Which means, I've, I've used this example before, I'm going to use it again. If I was to try to describe to you the game of baseball, and if I said to you, a pitcher throws a ball to the catcher, would I be lying to you? If I said that there's going to be a guy who swings a bat over home plate, and he's, and he's going to try to hit that ball out to the outfield, would I be lying to you? Neither of those two things are lies. Is that the whole game? Have I just described to you the game of baseball? Now I, he has to run to first base. Then he's going to run to second base. And then he's going to run to third base. And then he's going to run all the way home. Is that the game of baseball? It's not because what you missed is that he's running all the way home, but his ball was already caught in the outfield and he's out. And he doesn't even know it and ran home. The point is, I can give you pieces, but unless I give you the whole thing, you don't, you're not going to truly understand. Amen. So who has heard many pieces of Christianity that become these doctrines, and then what happens is they have to try to make those doctrines fit the rest of the Bible instead of letting the Bible establish their doctrines. And this is what I want to say. When Christ was on the cross and gave that man salvation, he did the same exact thing for us. And I've been kind of pounding here, us, and <laughs> I feel bad, but I've been pounding us in this church for weeks, saying that salvation is not just a prayer, right? And I know I'm like, I'm hitting nerves by saying this. And what I'm trying to establish is, is that it was, but because you are not on a cross, who's on a cross in here? We're on spiritual crosses, but no one's on a physical cross. What does that mean? It means that now we must show the fruit, amen, and the walking out, the working out of that salvation, amen. We must. The Bible tells us to. Whether your opinion is that's for rewards in heaven or, for or not to gain salvation, but to walk in it, that's between you and God. You guys know my opinion on that area. But the Bible says this. I want to look with us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Who's getting anything out of this today? We're okay. We should never feel like church is review, that sermons are review. Never feel like I know those things because I've been saved now my whole life, and I've heard pretty much every sermon. I've heard every verse preached in every different way at this point. There's not going to be much new. I'm not bragging. That's how many of us are in here. We are constantly hearing it so that we're constantly reminded who's forgetful like me, right? Why do teachers go over the same thing again and again and again? Because we are creatures of what? Come on, finish my statement for me. We're creatures of habit. And in order to form habits, you need to do what? Make it habitual, right? We need to do something constantly. So in order for uh, the themes and ideas in the Bible to become a part of you, we must be like Dan, right, who never puts his Bible down, right? He's still reading it. He doesn't need to read it. He's got the thing memorized from cover to cover. <laughs> he still reads it because maybe, maybe his mind has lied to him because we do this. 
Maybe our minds have filled in words here and there because we're influenced, right? Who's ever heard a verse from a friend or family or whatever? And then you actually go to look it up and you're like, what translation was that? Right? Because when I was a kid, I went, one of my best friends, uh, his mother was Spanish. And so her, and, and she spoke with a real strong accent. I know her heart was right. But she told us, and I remember, I'll never forget, I'm like, third grade, do to others what they do to you. I'm not joking. And I didn't hear her wrong, because my friend, who was her son, would make sure I knew that when he hit me back, it's because that's what the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? He literally quoted a scripture but he was missing some of it, and it changed the entire thing, doesn't it? And so what I'm trying to get for us today is just when we go back into the Word and, we, and the Lord brings us these ideas like kings and priests, we could easily be like, well, why do we even have sermons? Why do we need to talk about this topic or that topic? It's very simple. I'm a sinner. He's my Savior. I'm going to go to heaven one day, right? Why would he leave us this giant book? And why would he give us a, 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 a way for us to be constantly sh- iron sharpening iron, the Bible says, right? Why would he give us gifts, mutual gifts to each other, if it was just what? To just gather and have fun and have a meal? Obviously, we're supposed to be constantly giving each other not just love and grace and mercy. We need to be doing those things, but giving each other the word and it's in purity. And what happens is, is who's ever, who's ever been off in a concept in God on your own, and then it was changed one day? Who's ever had concepts of God that were changed? I've had many. And you know when they changed? Some things just take time because the Lord's working junk out of us. But getting back around other believers, getting back into church Sometimes just getting around believers. It's not even that they're saying the words I needed to hear, but there's something supernatural about the full counsel of God. Okay, and that's not just the kingdom of God, but it's people. These this is this is the full counsel too. We're a part of it. And what's happening is is it's something is supernaturally happening by being around each other, and it's chipping off some of the misconceptions and the junk. And all of a sudden I say, wow, I never understood it that way. I, I didn't see it that way. And I, now I feel like I came into the correct viewing of this concept in God. Amen. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Anybody getting anything out of this so far? Hebrews chapter 10. It says in verse 21, and, and we looked at Hebrews last week, and I skipped over chapter 10 for sake of time. But I want you to see, it says, we have a great high priest who rules rules over God's house. And it says in verse 22, and I looked at these verses when we preached on the Holy Spirit just a, uh, a couple months ago. But it says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Who agrees with that verse, right? This is the picture of salvation. Now, the man on the cross, he went in that day once and for all, right? 
He literally died. We died to our flesh. He did it there in that moment. Just in recognizing his sin and recognizing Christ's deity was doing the very same thing. I am confident that if he if the Lord supernaturally delivered him from the cross and he went back out and murdered, I think the Lord would come to him and say, what's the deal, man? We had a moment there on the cross. What are you doing going back to your old life of murder? It doesn't make sense, does it? The salvation right here is once and for all in our, for our spirit in Christ. But the Bible says, verse 23, let... Us hold tightly. Now, again, he didn't have a chance to do that. But I'm confident that if he had to live out the rest of his life, he would need to do the very same thing. Even though his salvation was done then, what do you believe me? Do you agree with me? It says, without wavering. Christ did something supernatural, but I want us just to be reminded that we have to hold on. Does it mean that we're doing it? Come on. I know this is, you can't talk about this concept to the intellect. Christ did everything, and yet I have to do something. How's that possible? How could Christ be 100% God and and in a human body? That doesn't make sense. That math doesn't work to the intellect. He was all God living inside of a a human being. But we know DNA doesn't work like that. A little bit of the father, a little bit of the mother, right? We know that. We can can look in Ancestry.com and see how much of your mom and how much of your dad got to you. But in God, he was fully God and fully a man. In the same way, Christ did everything, and yet I must hold tightly without wavering. Don't try to get it in your intellect. It's not something you're going to understand in your mind. It's something that, as real believers, we get in our spirit, don't we? Nobody even has to convince us to want to hold on tightly. I want to because I want to. If we're still trying to convince each other to be, quote-unquote, good Christians, holy, I'm saying, quote-unquote, because you can't do that anyway. Christ has to do it in you. But you're probably not saved yet. You're on the way. You're on, in the, on the process. You're certainly on the direction that you, you have a desire to. But if you are trying to be good or you don't know if you want to be good or bad today, I'm going to be good on Sundays, I'm going to be bad on Monday through Saturday, then you might be in the crowd. Listen, Jesus was right there. Many heard him preach, many ate his meals, many experienced Christ in an intimate way that we haven't even experienced. For me, it's all spirit. What I'm trying to say today is that the Bible tells us that when we came to Christ, it was a very serious thing. I could say it a couple of ways. Number one, I want to hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise just because we want to. But I'll say, secondly, the enemy is without rest. The moment you let go of that grip, does that mean Christ is going to let go of you? No, 
Does that mean his love changes? I've already established that. No. But the enemy is relentless in the moment you put down that grip. Who has experienced this? Who has wavered because you let your grip off? Hold tightly without wavering. You stop holding tightly. And all that it is really is we just don't take seriously enough right now what it is to be a believer, to be a priest in his kingdom. The moment that seriousness comes down and we become lax, we don't realize the weight, the seriousness of what this means. I'm a priest to the temple of the Lord. The moment you do that, the enemy swoops in, doesn't he? We've all experienced it. Dear friends, verse 26, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. And what the Bible's saying is this is, I know we know these things. We, we know these verses. I'm preaching to the choir here on this Sunday morning. But I want us to hear these things again, that we cannot be believers that go back to the world. Now, I know no one in this church is going out and committing heinous sins, like no one in here is murdering anyone. But we must realize that just because we think we're good, it does not mean that we must not go back to Hebrews 10.26. I think those words came out of my mouth right. We think we're good. We're not good. We must be constantly coming into his presence. Your flesh isn't good. Only Christ is good. He makes your spirit good instantly, and your flesh must submit to it. Amen. There's theological battles going on today. There will always be battles on doctrine. And what we must do is we must not let those arguments and those doctrines influence the Word. We must let the Word influence our doctrines. Uh, and because what's going to happen is, is one of the things that happened in my life was a big ploy to separate Old Testament and New Testament. Who's ever heard that? Anybody ever told you you don't need the Old Testament, you've got the New, right? We have Christ, why do you need the Old? And it's really a ploy of the enemy, because all he's trying to do is get you to cut out parts of God. That's where it starts. Before you know it, I've also heard you don't even need the whole gospel, you just need the parts that Paul preached, because the Bible says that Paul's message was for the Gentiles. I'm serious. So now I've gotten rid of the Old now I'm in the new, and I just need the part for me. And what happens? Before you know it, you get into weirdness and weird doctrines, right? You get off. Who's been there? And then what happens is then you hear a story about God, and you're like, well, that's not the God I know. Right? I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard people say, that's not the God. Well, I don't know that God you're preaching. I don't know that God. That's not, that's not, God's not like that. But God is like who he is in the Bible. If we want the definition of God, right, what does it say of him in the Bible? We cannot define God with our own experiences only, right? Yes, we have experiences. That's amazing. But we must take the word to define him. And what's happened is, is, we start coming up with these doctrines, and, and this is what it says. What I'm trying to bring us to is this. Verse 28 says, For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Old Testament. Everybody say, Old Testament. Old 
Come on, let's just say it like doesn't apply to me. Old Testament doesn't apply to me. That's fine. You're right. Guess what, everyone? Today, you're right. Here's an Old Testament verse. Doesn't apply to you. Verse 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, treated the blood of the covenant which has made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Did you guys hear me? If we're going to use the Old Testament, New Testament argument, verse 28 says, fine, you want to go there? God's already answered the argument 2,000 years ago before it came up in our modern times. Why am I talking about these things? Why is it so important that we come and we hear these things and, and, and go over these things? Because the world around you, including the church world, is trying to water down the gospel. Who's aware of that? The reason I go over these things and, it, and we're like, man, why does it have to be so serious all the time? Because Satan wants it to not be serious on purpose. The very reason we even think those thoughts, I don't want it to always be serious and be heavy. I just want it to be light and easy. I just want God to tell me he loves me and he's got a purpose for me and that's it and send me home. But the world is not so gracious to you. The devil is not so gracious. He is infiltrating the world right now in a way that's making the church right. We saw it in our lifetime. We thought it was a good idea. We started taking the crosses down to attract more people, right? We took the stained glass off the walls because it would attract more people. We started calling them, you know, trendy names and gathering places instead of churches anymore, right? To attract more people. So then we had to take out Jesus because he's offensive. Then we had to take, get rid of the Bible because that's offensive. Before you know it, we are no different than just a gathering place. And I'm telling you, not, maybe not in this room, but proportionally to the, the church in the West today, percentage-wise, there are just a few that are actually preaching his word. I don't know what that number to a few is. A few is not, I'm not saying three. Don't be analytical on me. A couple is two and a few is three. The Bible says a few, the road is narrow, and a few find it. There are few churches preaching the true gospel. It's so important that we realize what he's called us to. And this is it. This is what I'm, I've been trying to get to in this. That we are priests of the Lord. Old Testament, it says that they were put to death if they refused to obey the law. And we have Christ in between, so we think that makes it easier. Well, I thank God that we don't get put to death because we disobey. Thank God when I just feel like having a me day. I'm just going to put God aside. Today's a me day. I'll get back to you, God, tomorrow. You know, that was, that was like, that was death in the Bible. Remember I looked two weeks ago at Nadab and Abihu. They got casual about the things of God because they were priests. Remember, you're not a Christian, you're a priest. I mean, you are a Christian, but do you understand there's not a Christian and then there's a higher Christian? There's the unsaved and then there's the saved, which means if you are a Christian, you are a priest. If you are a priest, then you are Nadab and Abihu who were killed just for mishandling the presence of God. What it does is it creates a seriousness to us. That means when I wake up tomorrow, I say, Lord, this is not my day. This is your day. 
I feel a little hurt. I feel like I need a me day. So I'm going to come into your presence because that's the only answer. The devil lies to you and thinks that you can give yourself the answer. And what happens is it's a slippery slope to disobedience. It starts off with just a me day, but now you're like, well, now the TV, the channels start changing to those channels, you know, like I talk about all the time, maybe some of those Netflix things you shouldn't be watching before you know it. You're like, well, it's okay. And you just start welcoming in more and more and more compromise. Come on, who has seen it over and over again? If we're going to use the argument that we have Christ now, it's not the Old Testament anymore, then we have to go to Hebrews and read verse 28 and then 29. And says that, yeah, it was serious then. And thank God for Christ that we don't get stoned just for disobeying. But we must realize the seriousness of what this is that we are doing here as believers, not in this room. I mean, the sermon is not about being serious about being serious here. You're not a priest to this church, but you are a priest to God. That means everything we do, every breath we take. You know, the Bible says even the thoughts of your brain should be monitored. Even the stuff going in here. It's not just what you do. The Bible says to take your meditations and put them on the Lord, and it says to cast down vain imaginations. Even your brain is not your own, is the Lord's. It's supposed to be meditating on God, and when thoughts and feelings or, or false perceptions of what love is, come on, that's what they're trying false perceptions of who God is, who you are, and, you know, go out there and be somebody and do something, and those all sound fine, but it's the enemy trying to get you into you, just like he did with Christ. Tell Jesus, you know, you can do all these things, you can fast-track the process, and you'll be God right now. Remember? And those things are vain imaginations, and Jesus took them and crushed them and brought them down, brought his meditation Back to the Word of God. His response was the Word. Amen. So, as believers, we must realize that it is a very serious thing. And this is what it says in verse 32. Think back on those early days. Let's just read this out loud. I'm going to think back on those early days when I first learned about Christ. I remember how I remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering, right? That's the gospel you got saved into. Verse 33, sometimes I was exposed to public ridicule, and I was beaten, and sometimes I helped others who were suffering the same things. Let's keep reading here. But I suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and all that I owned was taken from me, And but I accepted it with joy because I knew there were better things waiting for me that will last forever. Now, maybe you haven't gone through the level of those things, but right when we came to Christ, and sorry, I point to this guy a lot because he's been experiencing like these, these beginning birth pangs of like to truly get, truly come into the kingdom, truly be saved, and some of it is hard. But there's a joy because you, there is no other way. And to those trying to search for another way to hit the easy button, I always try to hit the easy button. Always. Is there an easier way? There never is. God just doesn't allow it for me. I think it's just part of my training. Just doesn't allow me to hit the easy button. There's never an easy way. I got to do the hard thing. It's got to be harder. 
just so that we are constantly, we realize it's not about being hard, it's not about going through stuff. It's the fact that everything in this world, don't try to get comfortable because you're just lying to yourself. The moment you get comfortable, you have slipped into the enemy's trap. We must be vigilant and we must be serious all the time. You're like, man, just give me a break though, but I just need a break. Well, then go into the arms of Jesus. Get into his presence. That's where you have a break. That's the only break you really need. And we try to bring it in other ways. It's just deception. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you, Lord God, for this uh, sermon. And I just praise you, Lord, that there's life in here and truth. And, Lord, there's nuggets in here today. I just pray you deposit these seeds into our heart and grow them in us into life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.